Hello, I'm AT. Welcome to the Bulldog Gear podcast, where we aim to open up conversations and create discussions around the practical habits, ethos, and philosophies of the most successful people in our industry. Here, we will endeavor to identify, unpack, and discuss the actions and habits of fiercely successful individuals in and around the fitness space in an attempt to create clear, actionable philosophies for you guys to experiment with and implement on your own journey of self-improvement. And welcome back, guys, on episode 42 of the Bulldog Gear podcast. We are joined by the absolute strength and conditioning phenom that is Tim Stevenson. Tim was good enough to very succinctly surmise our chat in a post-pod Instagram story, so I'll just borrow his words here. We talked dynamic shoulders, rethinking upper body training methodologies, and having enough confidence in your shoulders to throw your kids obscenely high in a swimming pool. This was a majorly enlightening conversation with a lot of actionable takeaways. So grab a pen and listen up. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Super excited. Thank you uh, very much for, um, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Um, when, did we, when did we chat last on a pod? I've done your pod, uh, haven't I? Yeah, School of Calisthenics one a few years ago now. It I was, think it wasn't it? Been. I should know the episode number. That's what real podcast hosts do, don't they? <laughs> I've got no idea. Jackie does all that. You could be like, Jamie, just bring that up for me. Joe Rogan yeah. style. Jamie, <laughs> yeah, just exactly, bring up the number yeah. of that pod for me. <laughs> <laughs> a while back. <laughs> for anyone listening who doesn't know who you are, Tim, I wonder if you could give us a brief overview, or take as long as you like, an overview of uh, who you are, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, no worries. So um, short history, really. I've been a strength and conditioning coach since about 2008. Um, I found my, my passion and let's call it a career calling within Paralympic sport quite early on. Um, kind of stems back a little bit in my own life. I dislocated my hip when I was 11, 12 years old playing rugby. Um, spent three months in, as part of the rehabilitation in a wheelchair. And, and that's a pretty big eye opener for people um, to, to experience a little bit of like what it's like to, to, to live with an impairment, to be a wheelchair user. So that kind of like set me on a little bit of a journey around just kind of uh, just getting involved in, in disability sport. And, um, and yeah, I did my strength. I worked at Broad as a scuba diving instructor for three years, which was just living the beach bum lifestyle. And then I came back and thought I should get a proper job. So I transitioned through sports development into strength and conditioning, um, did an internship. And then the first guy that I started working with was a double leg amputee. I needed a case study for my UK strength and conditioning association accreditation. Um, so Rich Whitehead was a marathon runner at the time. We, throughout his career went on to do some sprint events and uh, won gold at rio london and silver in tokyo um but I just kind of fell in love with the complexity of, of paralympic sport there was no textbooks and there is still very little research to suggest how we should train athletes to run a, a 242 marathon which which was which what rich did as a, as a world record for leg amputee um and unpicking some of that stuff just plays to my brain of just problem solving and, and I, I like doing things that are innovative and new and and dynamic and I don't often like being told what to do so when there's no literature base you can do whatever you like because no one can tell you that you're wrong which is kind of like was quite appealing to me um so I've been doing that for well yes yeah, since sort of 2008 2010 was when we really sort of kicked that on um went to the, to the Paralympic Games in, in Rio 2016 with the British Paralympic team um I've done some consultancy work for British Paris swimming for the last sort of five six years Started School of Calisthenics in 2016. Um, that was a bit of an exploration around uh, bodyweight training, but started off as a, as a sort of a bit of a uh, thought experiment and personal research project as to whether I could 
stabilize a shoulder which had had two surgeries on and multiple dislocations um i thought if i could handstand then that would be a pretty pretty good sign that my shoulder was stable um and that led us down a road of just exploring bodyweight training and, and everything that came in and around that, that calisthenics kind of um scene i guess you could say um yeah and through to now sort of taking what i've learned around shoulder health and performance um from throughout my career then through my own journey of rehabilitating and, and getting a, a shoulder that was was pretty chocolate to a to a decent standard um, and now trying to share that with other people and coaches through dynamic shoulder conditioning what is it in um because obviously you mentioned there like your your this is going to sound like an odd thing to say but like your first foray into injury was was your hip what is it specifically about the shoulder though that's kind of attracted your attention um the hip was i i, I kind of talk about this a fair bit these days but the hip's relatively simple compared to the shoulder and there's some people will kind of like probably like my might kind of like finish it that a little bit but it's 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 a deep deep socket packed with a load of ligamentous tissue and it's it's not supposed to come out and when yeah. i dislocated mine it was um they said that normally it happens to old ladies or people in car accidents um when the when the the the, the car gets shunted in that the hip can get pushed backwards mine came out forwards at 90 degrees of where it should have been so imagine an x-ray of a pelvis my, my left hip was at 90 degrees of where it should have been in the socket when you go, the, I then started dislocating my shoulder when I was playing rugby. Um, the, the, the kind of physiology of behind that is that I've, I've probably got a certain amount of like laxity in my capsules and my joints. Um, I move pretty well, considering that I don't do a huge amount of mobility work. And when they did my hip, they just I think I've got quite a lot of elasticity around my, my joints. So my shoulder was kind of prone to dislocation, um, probably from a fundamental level. Um, but the thing that's just really kind of like sparked my interest with the shoulders, like the hip rehabilitation was fine, right? They, they stuck it back in two weeks in traction, three weeks on crutches in a wheelchair, do some rehab stuff, go again, never had any problems again. It's been absolutely fine since. Whereas with the shoulder, dislocated it a number of times, ended up having a surgery, dislocated it again, surgery failed, had another surgery, dislocated it again. And, and what I was finding through that kind of process was that the rehabilitation work that I'd been given just wasn't good enough for, for the level that I wanted to train at and particularly around 2000 and when would it have been oh, my dates are going to escape me now but when I, when I kind of stopped playing rugby and started really kicking on my strength and conditioning um, experience it would have been around that 2008 2010 sort of time I wanted to be in the gym throwing weights around and being able to sort of work with athletes and I, and I got to the stage where I just didn't have the confidence in my shoulder um, and, and when I started to kind of really think about it as a coach over the last sort of 10 years particularly we don't really have that many tools that are designed to scale the shoulder, uh, shoulder stability. And, and when you look at the research, a lot of stuff is done on the body because it's actually easier to control. And that's what we like as ac an academia is to control the variables. The shoulder has got so many degrees of freedom and the brain can find so many options in, in ways to move it that it just becomes quite complicated. Um, and I think I probably came out of my strength and conditioning education feeling fairly confident about training the lower body because that was the major focus of it. Yeah. A little bit of knowledge about the shoulder, but so, so if we get um, a trainer or a coach, if you, if you in front of your athlete and they take their shirt off for a, a screening for the shoulder, do we actually know what, what we're looking at? And what I'm trying to do now is basically give people the tools, some confidence and, and exposure to some, some ways in which we can scale the shoulder performance in line with strength gain so that it can take progressive overload and it can handle sort of increases in hypertrophy or power, speed, whatever it is we want to throw at the upper body, but doesn't break down. And we don't end up back in this cycle of niggling pain, instability, lack of confidence 
to then come out of it with a little bit of rehab, but then go back into that kind of phase. People seem to find themselves in this kind of cyclical process of being okay and being not okay, but never really getting on top of the root cause um, of the shoulder issue. And then also being able to then have the confidence to really go and press on with their training. Do you, do you think there's, there's kind of a, there's kind of a disconnect between you know in general between rehabilitation and high level training also is it almost as if rehabilitation is designed to bring us up to some sort of pain-free baseline so you can you know you can do your everyday you can do your everyday stuff at, at you know pain painish free you know whatever level it is you're trying to get to that doesn't kind of factor in the the idea that the reason a lot of people are in this situation in the first place is because they're high performers or they'd like to be high performers they'd like their body to perform at a higher than baseline level that a lot of you know rehab uh, practices don't account for yeah definitely i think from speaking from my own experience and then i can refer to some of the stuff that i've the years of working with athletes the job with the physio post my surgery was effectively they wanted to get me range of movement back and get me pain-free yeah. what i wanted to do was military press and there was there was a massive disconnect between where I where I left physio was effectively discharged. You don't need to come and see me again. And and what we do when the physio tells us that is we go, oh, that's great. I don't have to pay for that anymore. I can yeah. go back to training. <laughs> so that's 50, 60 quid a session like that I've saved. Um, but then we go back into probably in part what was causing the problem in the first place, whether that be the way that we trained or the environment we're, we're operating in, if that's a sports pitch or, or whatever it might be. Um, and there's definitely this gap between rehabilitation and then performance training in terms of we want to really want to get in and we want to start going getting after it a little bit again and that phase doesn't extend far enough so that's really where the where i think the void exists for, for strength and conditioning and personal trainers is we need to have some skills where we can start to actually meet the physio where they're at and and accept that when we take a client back on or, or have more people who are able to take a client who come out of some kind of shoulder rehabilitation program and go through probably a few more stages before we get back to, to full training, if we want to call it that. But the, 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 where the, the difference needs to be is that doesn't mean endless amounts of external rotations with a yellow theraband because they are yeah. painfully boring and no one does them when the pain goes away. That's the problem with rehab. You forget as soon as the pain is not there to remind you. So you don't really kind of do it for as long as you should do. There's lots of things that you can do which are more interesting, feel like better or more interesting training for you. They feel better from giving that kind of, I want to feel strong and stable. Um, and they're also then going to prepare you for the, the sort of work that you actually want to get back to, which could be Olympic lifting or gymnastics or going and playing rugby or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I think that there's a little bit of a movement within physiotherapy where there's quite a few strength and conditioning or rehabilitation uh, workshops going on where it's like strength and conditioning for physios so they're definitely starting to stretch that part of the field into more understanding more about the performance um, approach within a strength and conditioning environment um, so I think it's also then for the strength and conditioning environment to maybe do a little bit more work of just go let's go back a bit and understand what we're talking about from a rehabilitation perspective so that we can then meet those clients and athletes and then start to move back into where we're really comfortable which is progressive overload and performance training what 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 do you think is the first step uh, for a coach on on that journey of kind of, of bridging that gap or of kind of if we can create that Venn diagram where the physio and the coach um, work together? What's the first step a coach can make towards bridging that gap? Yeah, I think for me, and, and this is probably stems back to my own the education that I did is it's we have to understand movement and we needed a decent understanding of of functional anatomy. 
if you, if you understand a little bit around sort of, uh, yeah, the, the anatomy, the physiology of the body in different, at a fundamental level, you can then go and have a conversation with a, with a physiotherapist. If we know something a bit about biomechanics at that level. So I was, I, my, my initial qualifications were through the national Academy of sports medicine. And, and if anything, they've got probably a more clinical focus on that kind of thing. So their corrective exercise program is highly built around functional anatomy. But I've always gone back to that and gone, well, if you understand anatomy, you can coach anybody yeah. because you understand what movement it is or you understand what it takes to create different movement patterns. So I first started out in a university environment. I think in probably five years, I coached 30 different sports because you get in this melting pot of athletes who are doing horse riding at a decent level. And they're also somebody doing golf. I train a wakeboarder. And then you've got all your traditional football, cricket, hockey, netball sports as well. So you're just kind of looking at them in the environment that the athletes are performing in. And then going, well, this is the movement patterns that you need to make. This is the functional anatomy that's associated with it. Let's now kind of put those two things together in terms of how we shape and design a training program. Um, but I think if particularly with the shoulder, you, I'm, I'm pretty confident on this one. And it's uncomfortable for people because when I, when I speak to coaches, they're not confident with the functional anatomy of the shoulder. But because you've got a scapula effectively floating in space on the ribcage, unless you understand the musculature which is acting upon it, it's really difficult to understand what, why the scapula or the shoulder could be moving in a certain way. And it's really difficult then to understand, well, how do I create a training program or which exercises am I going to choose to get that scapula to move in a more optimal pattern? So I, I will start there. I'll go back to the functionality, understand the biomechanics, the kinetics and kinematics of the joints um, or of movement and, and go and build from there. Because most people can pick good exercises, but you've got to understand what it is that you're trying to correct or train with that exercise at quite a fundamental level before you can expect to have some success. Yeah, I, I definitely think the, the, the gap or the difference between exercise knowledge and anatomy knowledge is like it's massive across the board in, in fitness. And I think it's something we really saw during the first or, you know, during lockdowns where a lot of people were forced out, or a lot of trainers were forced out of their usual environment. And, um, you know, I'm not talking about trainers who train anyone from specific. I'm talking about trainers who train gem pop for kind of gem pop goals. And you really saw how, exercise educated versus movement pattern or anatomy educated a lot of the fitness industry was when they were having to adapt they were having to you know they had a stimulus they wanted to get or they you know they they had a move not even yeah a stimulus they wanted to kind of you know recreate repeat adapt and people you know coaches who've been in industry for a long time were struggling to do that because their their understanding was very exercise based and then, like you say, understanding like what what are the the kinetics of this exercise? How do I recreate that um, in a different environment, in a different context? And even though you know, even the most basic level three personal training course, all of the you know, you you have to do a module in anatomy and physiology. It doesn't yeah. mean you're going to be tested for it, and it doesn't mean you're going to have to know it inside out. It's like one of those catch-all things, isn't it? Where all the course materials there but it doesn't mean you're going to be tested on it. But mm. then for any examining body, they can say, well, you know, that was all there, but you're not expected to know the, the, you know, you're not expected to know anatomy and mechanics inside yeah. out in order to become a coach. And that creates a big gulf, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, I think there's just, 
it's not presented in a way which is easy for people to learn. So like if you get your textbook and you've got, I don't know, 10 pages worth of, like you get those little pictures, don't you, with the muscle on it. It's like yeah. origin, assertion, innovation, like da, da, da. Yeah. Like no one, I don't think anybody's ever learned anatomy from that. Like you've got to, I think coaches are often quite visual people. So it's, it's, you've got to be able to sort of have that opportunity to see it maybe in theory, maybe on an app where we can kind of play with the skeleton and we can see what's actually happened, build that mental picture. And then can we take that into the human body and, and transfer that into what a movement pattern looks like? And it's the harder work. It's easier just to go and write five by five bench on a, on a yeah. program. Like it's difficult to do and, and it takes time and, and you've got to be really intentional about it. But it's uh, the, the value there, I think it opens a lot of doors for people to actually have way more impact. If you can, if you can have that, as you said, a fluidity around just being able to coach anything, anywhere, anytime, because you understand movement. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting you should say that, actually, because that, you know, I obviously remember the diagrams and of like a jacked skeleton with muscles and, you know, <laughs> yeah. the bit you want to be looking at is colored in. And then interestingly enough, uh, the other week now, someone was asking me something about the muscles of the back. They were asking me about traps and rhomboids and lats. Mm. And then presented with like a t-shirt that, you know, the back of someone's jumper that, of a human being that wasn't like jacked to the gills, color coded, you could see every single sinew. Suddenly, like it's actually hard to put into practice, um, like where and how these things exist and what they do and contextual, like you and I understand, you obviously, you know, what these things do, what, you know. But to then explain that in layman's terms to someone, like it is diff it's difficult concepts it's to grasp unless you can see these things in action and no one's going to force you as a coach to do it. That's the thing. Yeah. Like there's a certain level of uh, personal responsibility that becomes necessary, right? Because many, many coaches will just get away with forever just not knowing this stuff. Because as you say, you can program five by five bench and it will be effective for, you know, whatever, whatever the goal is for a while yeah and so the shoulder breaks down which often yeah. it does um and then you've got a problem um yeah and i think it's like one thing i'm trying to do for people is now simplify it down so i mean when i first started because it was quite heavy in anatomy we had crib sheets so it's like if if you're squatting and the the foot turns out these are your possible like overactives and these are your possible underactives and then you can start to program it's been filtered down so i'm, I'm now just kind of trying to package this up in a way where people can just use like effectively a really simple resource. I can see the shoulder blade doing this, or I can, I can see the shoulder doing that. Like what is that? I've got very simply go, this is the archetype of movement. So now I know these are the sorts of things and how do we link exercises to it? It is a little bit color by numbers, but I think you've got that. It is it's for coaches who kind of probably are quite practical minded, being able to, to see it from a theoretical perspective, but then do it in real life. I think that connection is super important because as we said, like no one really gets particularly effective at learning this stuff just by sitting in their, in their lounge with a, with a textbook open. It's got to be made real. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really don't think there's any value in, in offering something that the people you, you know, that people can't understand just for the point, you know, from, for co the coaches can't understand. And yeah. you do see this in some, in some areas of education. And I almost think like, do you want these people to get better or not? If, if so, you've got to meet them where they are because these people are out there working with real people in our industry. So if you want to upskill them, you've got to meet them where they are, right? 
Yeah, I always hold myself to that quote by Einstein of like, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't understand it well enough. And it's, yeah, I could probably speak at a level which is confusing to people because that will make me sound like the most intelligent person in the room. But what does that serve? It doesn't serve anybody apart from my own ego. Um, I actually want to speak to a level, hopefully, where it's super simple and people go, oh, I didn't realize that was, I thought it was much more complicated than that. Yeah, well, if that's how you feel, I've probably done a good job at educating you. Yeah, 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 exactly that. It's like that thing of make it as complicated as it needs to be, right? And yeah, not no more. <laughs> so let, yeah. let's talk a little bit about what you're like, what you're doing, like talk us through dynamic shoulders. Uh, what is it to you? What does it encapsulate? And where do you see it going? Yeah, so the philosophy is built around those kind of couple of things I've mentioned around building resilient and robust shoulders that are pain-free, can move with precision, control, and confidence as the point one. And then the second point is a, a shoulder which can, can accept and excel under progressive overload in an environment or task-specific context. So what is it that I'm training the shoulder to do? From a, like we call it, I call it conditioning, but if it's a if it's 24 hero workouts or if it's a, if it's a rugby game or if it's CrossFit, like what is the outcome? And then how we then go and build the fundamentals for that need to be relative to the to what we're actually going to try and do. That's where the disconnect was for me. I had physio, so I got a shoulder which started to move a little bit better, but it was never really directed towards what the demand of rugby was. And I might need yeah. to hand a guy off who's coming at me from side on and he weighs 100 kilos and I weigh 75. That's going to be a problem. Um, so that's kind of the, the fundamental philosophy. But the important part of it, as I said, is like the Second point about training for performance needs to be done without pain or compromising on point one. So those two things are sort of interrelated. So really now it's starting to take a lot of what I've learned from sort of five or six years of, of playing around with different ways to scale dynamic stability. That's the real kind of crux of it, if you, if you were to boil it down. Because the shoulder, the architecture is as it is, we have to understand how we can better control and scale the dynamic stabilization of the shoulder. And, and that being effectively let's put it simply the ability to keep the ball in the socket and the socket on the ball. If we think about that kind of like analogy and if you imagine like a teacup with that small kind of lip on it, Oh, sorry, sauce with that small kind of lip on it and the teacup sitting in it, the sizes are a little bit out, but that's effectively what we're looking at. We've got a very shallow socket where the humeral head sits on the fossa, which is on the scapula. And we just need to get really, really good at keeping that humeral head sucked into that socket so that it's not going to migrate anywhere that we don't want it to. Because of the, we've got quite fine margins for, for error in the shoulder, one to two millimeters of an uncontrolled translation could lead to an injury. So it's really about developing more dynamic stability that we need because that then allows you to have reserves when you start to go on red line. So if you're going to go into sort of a high CrossFit workout, high volume CrossFit workout, and we've got a ton of snatch and overhead squat work in there, we're going to need to have so, so much dynamic stability to control the pitch this position so that the rest of the system is unable to just go on and just deliver the, the, the work that, that it needs to do. And there's probably a space in, in coaching, strength and conditioning, personal training, where we don't really have a lot of tools because oftentimes we'll kind of get people on a bench or a military press. So we're kind of like nudging weights up and we're going 60, 70, 80, 90 kilos, like loading these things. But what does our shoulder stability or, or kind of preparation work look like? Well, if we do any, it might be, a 1.25 kilo scaption or, or like a light band exercise just to kind of basically tick a box. But there's very little which is done to actually respect that stability and strength are intrinsically paired. If we start to scale strength and we don't have stability, we're going to start to sacrifice structural integrity. And the brain will then 
take decisions when we're training as to what it's going to allow us to do in order to make sure that we don't compromise the shoulder joint. So to put that into kind of like experience for people, if you've ever had like a heavy dumbbells and you go and sort of like shoulder pressing and we're like going for a set of eight, like heavy, and you're like six and you're struggling to try and get it up, all of a sudden the shoulder just shuts down. Yeah. The joint is still in place. Like it's still structurally okay. The brain's just gone, no, nah, you've yeah, not got it, the stability to do that. that. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, nope. not today. <laughs> yeah, not today. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that your deltoids may well have had the, the foot muscular force to be able to put that weight up. It wasn't an endurance or a strength issue. It was a stability problem. But we're not, we don't do enough to train that stability to give us the foundation to then go and accept higher level or to produce higher levels of, of speed, strength, or, or power. And I think the, um, the real kind of simple analogy for that is if you've got a race car, like we need to build a better chassis before we worry about how much horsepower we put in it. Because if you do that the wrong way around and things are going to start to break. Yeah. Uh, you, you used the term there and you used it the other week when we were chatting, which I, I really like, cause I think it, it conveys, or for me, it's like a really nice analogy that like is simple. You do, I just grasped it instantly is that you refer to it as having a comfort, like confidence in your shoulders and, like you just said there, when you, you hit that wall where it, it's not endurance, it, it's not strength. It's nothing, you know, it's nothing to do with like a strength deficit. It's just neurally you shut down just that. Nope. You, you go to press up your shoulder and it, it's just not today. And I really liked when you said like building confident shoulders, like they, they will carry you through. Like you, the, there's no gap between your capability and your confidence. Um, do you think that's something that holds a lot of, a lot of trainees back? They're just not building that, that chassis, but they are, they're, the strength is going up and up and up, but their actual confidence that neurally, I'm not talking about like, Oh, I'm yeah. scared of pressing this weight. I'm talking about like their, their neural drive, their ability to their body's ability to allow them to perform it. This movement, yeah. is there a disconnect there? Is that something we don't think about? Yeah, I think that where we lose that is that we don't respect that everything goes through the brain. So that yeah. the brain is governing everything and it's making decisions all the time about the environment that we're operating in, the task that we're asking the, the, the body to do, um, and its ability to, to basically manage threat um, or, the, uh, or assess risk within that environment. So because we are, we've got that integrative process, the brain is constantly making decisions. And, and I love this kind of like, I, I like the neuroscience stuff as a strength and conditioning level. It's not an area of expertise of mine, but this, I find this, the, the central governor theory quite kind of, um, yeah, it's, I find it really interesting to think about that the brain is already on any given day, got a, it knows what's going to happen. So the best example of this is someone lines up on a hundred meter race and it's already set how fast that's going to happen that day. It doesn't really matter. Um, I think there's a bit in competition where you can probably get a little bit more out of it, but the, given the conditions, the temperature, the, 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 the amount of sleep that you had, all of these sorts of things are going to be impacted. So from a neural perspective, it's like, how do we start to kind of think about giving the system more opportunity? And, and there's always going to be a place where we're going to go on red line because that's the whole point of progressive overload. We need to get to a stage where we are pushing it so that we get adaptation and, and therefore the, the response but, or stimulus and therefore the adaptation. But it's, it's doing that in a sense, in a way which keeps all of these these kind of like, if you, if you think of like an, like an equalizer, we've got to get all the levels up all the time. We've got to keep mobility up because if we don't have that, we're going to have an issue. We need to keep the stability going up and then the strength at the same time. And there's, there's probably going to be times in a, in a, in a training block where we're just going to focus on strength 
That's no problem. I'm absolutely on board with that. Do power phases, do complexes, do maximum strength lifting. But just make sure that at some point preceding that, we've done a phase which is actually doing that chassis upgrade. And we're doing the maximum strength power work, whatever it might be. Let's just keep this stability ticking over. We know that we can maintain physical attributes for a long time with this relatively short period of, of work. It might be that we can maintain, maintain strength for 10, 20 weeks by just doing one set of intensity on, on a given movement that the research yeah. has, has shown that that's true. So we don't need to be dedicating half an hour of, of correctable or stability work. If we've done the base level, we just got to do enough to keep that ticking over so that it can support us to go and deliver the performance type work that we, that we want to go and do. So I really want to move it away from a space of going, oh, it sounds like more rehab. It's not rehab. The stuff that I'm doing is like brutally difficult. Like I do a lot of work on gymnastics rings and they will find the weak links in anybody's chain and you cannot hide on the rings. Yeah. But they, uh, you'll take somebody who's got a great bench press and you'll put them on, on some of that kind of work and, okay, it's a push-up. Okay, but we're now unstable. We are supporting the kinetic chain ourselves so you've got to actually do the work to hold the body in a, in a shape so the shoulder is now linked into the pelvis which we don't necessarily do well on the bench press many times um it's so it's now me against kind of like i'm i'm producing the force whereas in a bench press i'm lying flat on a bench supported by the ground the weight's coming at me a physio that i work do some work with ian Hawes, he said if you're standing there and I throw hundred kilos at you, there's no way you're going to, or someone fires at you, there's no way you can stop that. But that's yeah. because on a bench press, you've got the support of, of the ground and the, and the bench to be able to do that. And that's not to say I'm not anti-bench, but I'm just saying that I can make dynamic stability exercises, super scalable. We start playing around with weight vests, tempos, body angles. You're having to stabilize a joint. You can still produce high levels of force. And my challenge to people would be if you really kind of go and play around with some of that sort of stuff, you do something for the progressive higher intensity stability work for your shoulders, and then you go on bench, I'm pretty sure you're going to see some pretty remarkable improvements because you're doing something that you've not probably done before, one, but you're also giving the shoulder more what it, what it wants, which is confidence to be able to produce the force that it is capable of because the structural integrity is sound. I did a, a bit of, as a bit of a case study. This is lower body focus, but there was, it kind of sticks out in my memory of when I was working with, with Rich Whitehead, he used to deadlift off his knees. Um, and he would have done 200 kilos for three reps in a deadlift. We did a block of work, which was um, from say, October through to December. And all we focused on was his ability to apply force more effectively rather than thinking about how much force he could apply. And he was like into a second cycle. We needed to go and do something a little bit different to try and get a performance improvement. So we did probably eight to 10 weeks of this, like let's call it like motor control kind of um, kinetic chain integration type work challenging really difficult in terms of thinking about body position and control we came back in the january retested his his, um, his deadlift three rep max and he'd gone 220 so we put 10 percent on from not lifting weights really we'd only done a moderate amount of strength work all we'd done is improve his ability to to apply force more effectively so i, I don't know maybe, would people take 10 percent on a 200 kilo deadlift like i think most people probably would do in 10 weeks yeah yeah, and it's something you see often in the CrossFit community as well, right? With people who maybe come from a background where they, they've deadlifted a lot, you know, not powerlifters, but just people who deadlift in the gym. Yeah. And when they switch to, you know, a, a focused block of cleaning, like, they, you know, deadlift stop, they go over to cleaning and they increase their their rate of force development goes up just because it has mm. to, because you're pulling something quickly from the ground. 
people's deadlifts go up. Like that's something demonstrable. It's something we see all the time. What I don't think enough people think about is, is that strength deficit is the gap between what their body is capable of and what their body will allow them to do. And so we just keep hammering away using the, you know, the, the small percentage of, um, you know, motor units or muscle fibers, however you want to put it that we're using to, to brute force weights around and just ignoring the fact that, because we don't know, because you can't see it. Can you, it's not tangible. Mm -hmm. You don't do a deadlift and say, Oh, that was my three rep max, but I was only using 45% of my, (laughs) you know, you don't, there's no way of, you know, short of being in a lab and putting electrodes in your leg on a leg extension machine. There's no way of knowing that deficit is there. Whereas I think what, what you spoke about there, which is really cool is, um, the idea of doing these other movements that are still pushing you towards your goal. So like a weighted ring push up that you can progressively overload and you will probably progressively overload it quite quickly because as with new movements, you get the, just those sweet beginners mm-hmm. gains, right? Where you're just going to ramp up and it has carryover. Whether you want to be getting stronger at bench press, you know, that carryover is coming. Whether you, you're trying to look better naked with a bigger chest, like that carryover is definitely coming in this case. And it's not, I think it's so easy for people to dismiss the uh, maybe other things that would help them towards these goals. As you say, like we just tick boxes when we're warming up, right? We do a few, like I know myself, I'll do like seven band pull aparts. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll hang from the bar. But the, the seven band pull aparts would have been the same intensity that you've been doing for the last five years. Exactly. Right? Even though yeah, you were stronger. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that. I'm still on that red band. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and it is like, we're just ticking boxes and, um, unless you like, and yeah, I think people, it's really easy to sit here and be like, we've both just done it, like laugh at that. And I'm cool to laugh at it because it's me, <laughs> it's me doing it. But like what you're doing is actually prevent presenting a solution. Like I think you have to meet people where you are and it's very easy to go, Oh, you know, these people are stupid because they're not doing anything towards, uh, you know, learning stabilizer shoulder mm. joint and they're just hammering away heavy weights. But like, what can we do to actually meet people where they are and go, yeah. well, here's a solution that you might actually want to do. Yeah. You- I, I think it's, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I was one of those people. Like I, I was a hundred percent one of those people. So if I look back, it's just a story. So I had my first shoulder operation and then while I was at university after university, went to Australia, um, was got into weight training when I was there, did a lot of bro work, a huge amount of like bench press and came, my, my, my sister's a physio. I came back and she's like, what have you done to your shoulders? As in like, that's not a good thing is I couldn't lie on the floor and my shoulders were like miles away from the, from the ground. <laughs> They're just so internally rotated. And then I went and played rugby and, and I was, I, I just started breaking down again because I just I completely, I've done exactly this, this stuff that I'm talking about. So I'm, I don't want to, I'm not looking for my ivory tower of like, look how good I am from, because I can do a handstand and some stuff on the rings. I'm like, I was there and I've been down that rabbit hole and I know how difficult it is to get back to a place where your shoulders are, you have the confidence that we were talking about. It's years. And if someone goes into a, gets a dislocation um, and they have to have a surgery, the rehabilitation to get back to a place where you feel good is probably 12 months. You might be able to start lifting again around six months because you'd have, by then you've got some external rotation back and you've done a little bit of, of physio, but you aren't feeling good for a year. Now, who wants to lose a year out of their training? Yeah. Like I would much rather, 
as my I now look at my, I was super frustrated and had a really bad time with my shoulders in terms of like I I was gutted the second time I had to have another surgery absolutely devastated. I really want to help people just not go down that route because I've been there and it's bad. Um, and and if you love training, you love sport, then the, the thing is you want to be doing that for as many years as you can because at some point in your life, that's not going to be your thing anymore. You're going to have to change. Um, so what can we do and what, how can I help people just to change the way that they, they do things? And the biggest challenge for people is you've got to rethink how you see training. Just because you've been doing it for years doesn't mean that that's the best way. If anybody wants a book on that subject, Think Again by Adam Grant is a real, it's a recent book and it's super easy to read, but we'll just challenge you to think about, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to change your mind um, and it's okay to do things differently. And that's what I think with what I'm trying to do when we're enhancing um, dynamic stability around the shoulder, using some of the stuff like closed kinetic chain movement. So you mentioned some of it, like hang from a bar, perfect. Um, there's a, if we go back, there's like a, there's a lot of benefit from just like hanging around on bars. Um, and there's a lot of benefit from crawling around on the floor. It might not look cool, but the bar stuff you can get away with in the gym and, and you can do some stuff on the bar. It's going to be super helpful for you, for your shoulders. You can get the rings out. And I promise you, if you've not used them before, that's going to be a lesson, um, in, in how strong and stable you think you actually are. And it's going to be difficult. Um, I don't, I'm not saying to anybody, I never want to be in a position where I'm like, don't do that thing. Don't do that, that workout because it's bad for your shoulders. Don't play rugby yeah. because it's bad for your shoulders. I'm here to say, go and do that thing. Let's just make sure that you have what you need to be successful and avoid injury because I want you to enjoy that to the full. Yeah. Yeah. I think something I always think about is injury begins where capacity ends, right? That's all mm. I, a few questions after this weekend of people being like, Oh, how do you how do you train for this how do you train for that how do you avoid injury and it's like you you just have to make sure that your grasp you know your reach never exceeds your grasp and that is just mm. that's through training right and so many people i think are evangelical about this is bad that is bad this will injure you that will injure you cool you even in a world where you're 100 right and you can say that to a 100 degree of certainty guess what people are still going to go and do it yeah. <laughs> so as maybe let's think of some, let's think of some workarounds here and not make those workarounds. If you take someone who wants to be on a rugby pitch or is a wakeboarder or a snowboarder, let's look at the type of person that is and let's think, are they realistically going to want to do the stuff that you're going to want them to do? Or yeah. is there something else we could be doing? that is going to maybe make them feel like it's either got some more specificity or it's just not boring. Um, yeah. And the thing I see with a lot of this is not to diminish anyone, obviously, but with a lot of like physio based stuff is that's not what people want to see the skill transfer, right? There, there are sure yeah. there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people with real type A personalities. You can go and be really diligent at this work and then come back in the gym and understand they need to build back up slowly and all that, you know, all that good stuff in an ideal world. But there's also, as you say, a lot of people that are going to go through the motions of that physio work. Then they're going to be like wicked. I'm fixed 60 pound a week saved um, and get mm. back under the bar for you, for someone who's not there, you know, for someone who's not in a position yet where they're broken, but they said like, this is, I put myself in this category, someone who just doesn't, they just don't have confident shoulders. Like they, I just don't have confident, like they'll do yeah. what I need them to do. But, of all of every part of my body the shoulders are going to be the one that do say no they're the ones that yeah 
I'm, they're going to fluctuate on a day to day. They're less predictable for me. Where, where do you start? Like, how do you start rethinking your training? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm just going to try and give some actionable takeaways for people and I can contextualize a little bit. So if you are involved in a, a CrossFit sport or a CrossFit as a sport or, or your training is lacks eccentric focus that we talked about this mm. the other week, then start there. So think about CrossFit as an environment. Um, how many times do we actually lower a bar from overhead under control? And how many times do we actually descend from a bar, whether that be pull up, muscle up, whatever it might be, or a set of rings with control? Never. Mm-hmm. Like it's hardly ever happened because it's not the point of CrossFit because eccentric work takes time and it's a time-based sport. So we're, we're, we're missing. If we think we've got a concentric, isometric, eccentric phase of muscle action, those are pretty important in terms of just general movement and biomechanics and control. We have got a significant gap in our arsenal of actually being able to decelerate force now we kind of go well is that important because i don't feel very good when i press but it is important because that is that muscle balance which is going to be working in terms of tension and, and we and, and, and thinking about how like if we think about the system as a whole how the whole system is it's not one individual muscle it's a big slab of tissue that's connected by fascia like we are transferring forces around into other muscles all the time or into other connected tissue so I think that's where you start throwing in and, and maybe it's as simple as this. If you start doing some stuff on a bar, um, some of like hanging based movements, or you start doing some hand balancing stuff or some ground based movement, or you start using the rings, you have to eccentrically decelerate. Yeah. If I'm going to go and do something on, on the, on the rings, for example, if I am particularly in some handstand kind of work of vertical pushing patterns, whether that be a pipe push up, I have to decelerate. Otherwise I'm going to smash my face on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> And because it's unstable, if it's on the rings, I have to decelerate. Otherwise, I can't control the position. I can't just drop the weight and catch it on my deltoid like I would do with a barbell. Yeah. So I would just start throwing in and, and just take one thing. Just go, okay, I've, I've, everything that Tim said, I'm gonna, uh, the rings look kind of cool. And, and this is when we start playing to the, to the athletes' personalities. You take action sport athletes. Well, I've got a set of monkey bars or a decent CrossFit rig in my gym. I'm just going to see if I can swing from this end to that end. And I'm going to see if I can throw in some kind of twists, a few transitions. That looks like play. What they're actually getting is a huge amount of stability work around the shoulder because we are just by the nature of the environment forced into controlling the shoulder in a certain way. You can't transition from one arm to another unless you do a little bit of active hang work effectively on one arm you've got to support yourself so you can move on to the next bar so that sort of stuff is just really easy do it as part of a warm-up don't sort of all of a sudden throw the whole training program out and go that's stuff that i really like i'm not i can't do anymore it's not about that it's it's maybe arriving five minutes early to do a little bit of something um, before your session which could be rings based or even if you are doing some additional supplementary work throughout the week for your crossfit work just think about like how we eccentrically train in the shoulder and do we find ourselves getting into kind of full range of motion? So oftentimes we'll find that push-ups stop with the elbows are straight, but you've actually still got a load of range in that scapula to move through and get the scaps around the rib cage. Um, that would typically be called a push-up plus in a physio environment. But when we're on the rings, we can use that full range of motion. When we're pressing overhead, we've kind of become accustomed to backing down this cue of like creating stability from the shoulder blades and squeeze the shoulders back and pull them down. That's not where we want to be. If we're going to go into the overhead position, we need to be able to get this shoulder blades up and around the rib cage. 
So practicing those sorts of things with like an inverted kettlebell shoulder press, we're getting stability, we're getting some, some decent kind of task focus for the brain. You have an opportunity to feel what the movement is like. Landmine pressing, I really like because you can feel what the shoulder is supposed to do and you can focus on allowing the, the shoulder to move a bit. And I think we've become very focused on, on, on two things really. Coaching has gone very much down the route of external cues. So focus on something outside your body, which is super effective. But it's not great if you don't really know how you're moving through your shoulders. You've got to have some awareness of where your shoulder is in space. Otherwise, you see people all the time with the like, overhead pressing and the bar is like wonky. I like, know it feels fine to me. No, it's not. Like there's an issue going on. Um, so can we just start to kind of build a, a little bit of these things in where we build some awareness? It's done at a slightly sort of lower. Or the focus is quality with intensity rather than how much can I get done in a certain period of time. Um, I think that's probably where we've lost a little bit of our way in, in, in the current landscape of uh, more is more or more is better. Um, and, and there's still value in three by 10 or eight by four uh, done with an eccentric tempo of four to one. Like it's, I still think there's this, this space for us. We're thinking a little bit more and not, not throwing out two sets of 12 because that's, that's physio stuff. It's not like two sets of 12 and a four to one tempo even two sets of 20 is exactly what your shoulder needs because the slow twitch fibers, which are holding the stabilization of that joint together, like to work for time under tension. They want to work for longer. So we need to expose them to higher duration work at an appropriate intensity if they're going to sort of allow that adaptation to happen. It's weird to me that people kind of hold these concepts as like mutually exclusive, like you're doing one and not, the other like if you you know if you're doing push press in the context of a crossfit workout and i don't even mean a metcon i just mean like the first let's take something that's common like the first part of your um of your wad before the metcon is work to a heavy push press and you it's really common to see people even as they work up even when they're well within their capacity still not doing the eccentric phase of lift like every set is done um and it's i guess you can see you can see how people come to this like logic but every set is done like it's that top set the, yeah. the set of 10 is done with you know big leg drive boom straight back down onto the onto the clavicle big leg drive boom straight mm. back down onto the clavicle as if like because i'm working to a heavy where i'm going to eventually end up doing a triple that looks like this then every set should look like this yeah and like you say, like, it doesn't need to be like that. Like your first set of this work to heavy could be, um, 10 bottoms up kettlebell presses, Like you're mm. still doing the same before you even transition onto the bar in the same window of time. It doesn't need to be something that comes before. Right. And yeah. then you're, when you're at 50% of your max, you're still control. You're doing tempo lifts and you can do that all in that same work to heavy. It doesn't need to be a, Oh, you know, I'm rehabbing my shoulder today, so I'm doing, uh, you know, bottoms yeah. up kettlebell walks. It can be part of the same thing, and that that yeah. from, that mindset change for me, I think, is what has um, as I've as I've gotten older and as I've taken more knocks and as my ability to recover is lowered due to lifestyle factors. Actually, doing that build it in stuff as has what has been the big, biggest game changer for me because I'm not mm. going to do the other stuff. I'm not going to do it. I know my. You have to be aware of yourself at your laziest, like worst version of yourself. Yeah. Right. And I know I'm not, yeah. I'm not going home and doing like, 
you know, I'm not doing like just scap push-ups for 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm not, so I need to do scap push-ups in my workout or I need to yeah. do ring push-ups or ring dips when there's dips uh, yeah. would have been on my workout. And people just hold them separately, right? There's no, it's on a continuum though. Yeah, I'm also not doing 20 scap push-ups at the end of the day. And this is kind of like, this is where the, the, you're right. The substitution comes in of going, we well, want to do a hypertrophy block, right? Great. Let's go and do six to eight weeks of hypertrophy. At some point during that, let's just choose rings rather than dumbbells. Yeah. Fine. Or, or let's just choose, um, let's choose some parallel push-ups with, with weight vest on. Uh, it's, tension is tension, right? Like it, there's nothing different really. Like we, it's not to say that a, a push-up is not a beginner exercise. And, and if you feel like, if you're open to going a step further, start moving in different planes of motion. That's what, what you're able to do with some of these movements as well. Is the shoulder, we, we get so kind of fixed in sagittal plane push and pull patterns. But there's a whole load of other stuff that the shoulder is able to do outside of that where we don't ever really get that strong. And, and I think just to, to my other short point on this one is, I think it comes down to, to discipline. Like tempo, of, I mean, you go back to your fundamentals of, of the research of go, what you, you see basic tempo, 202. Like how many people actually do a two zero two tempo, a two second concentric and a two second eccentric? Nobody. Yeah. And then we wonder why we don't build as much muscle tissue as we might like, because nobody's doing four second eccentrics because yeah. it's hard. So lowering a bar in a workout, I can't be asked to do that. I, yeah. I just won't because I'm lazy. But I also appreciate it of going in a workout. You're now worried about what's to come. I don't want to tie myself out. So why would I spend this energy lowering a bar? Um, so this is kind of where, where my thoughts are at the moment is there is, yes, I, I, I train CrossFit and I'm excited about that, that environment, but I know that it's not fixing or providing a complete solution and that might be uncomfortable to some people, but if we're warming up with a push press with doing like a overhead, like a strict press or something, and the quality is not great, then that's still not fixing the, the eight hours that people have just spent sat in an office or at the car or their issue that they've had from rugby five years ago where they subluxed or like it's there's, 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 the corrective stuff is not built into that and that's not the job of that environment. But what I'm, what I'm relatively sort of sure on from my own experience, I can't prove it, but given the right environment, will the shoulder self-organize? Self if we create enough of the conditions where we have to kind of create some stability, will the shoulder actually start to kind of heal itself? And the people out there might be feeling, again, I don't know how that's going to resonate, but let's give you an example. When you put somebody up into rings and like a straight arm ring support, like before you do a ring dip, the first time they jump up, the rings can be going absolutely all over the place. Your brain's got no idea how to stabilize that environment do it for a week or so, come back in, it happens really quickly. All of a sudden you'll get up there and you'll be still. What's happened? Well, you're not really, it's not a strength issue. Basically your brain's just worked out how to push the right buttons yeah. to stabilize the joint. So if we're going to go and train ourselves in progressive environments, that's very safe because the hands are by the side and it's into like a depression pattern. It's not difficult. Um, I'll go and play around with some kind of unstable stuff going overhead. Does the brain all of a sudden go, do you know, this would be way easy if I could just get serratus anterior working or I, my rotator cuff starts to fire a little bit more. Yes, there might be some prep work to do that's going to encourage that to a better effect, but I'm just interested in creating an environment where we just got shoulders that move better. And if we take historical kind of, we go back in time, um, I think probably people kind of hunting and, and climbing and, and like crawling and spending more time in ground-based positions. And I know they didn't have gymnastics rings, but the functional movement patterns of just kind of like navigating the world 
rather than sitting at a car in a car or, or in a desk all the time, I think the shoulder would probably have moved pretty well because it was getting a very kind of like rounded exposure to lots of different conditions, but with tasks in an environment, which was actually quite effective for, for just getting it to function the way that it's designed. Yeah. I, I think we're in, like, the thing I always go back to is that we're incredibly adaptable uh, organisms and something I found really interesting at the moment is there's so much debate around um, linguistics, which initially I thought was brilliant because I, I really don't like the disempowering. I really don't like the disempowering talk, the idea that anything is inherently bad for you. This is going to blow up your back. This is going to blow yeah. up your knees. And initially I thought it was great that we were having these, these conversations and we weren't just instantly like, you know, you see someone in a little bit of back flexion and you just, you just smash your iPhone up because you're so disgusted <laughs> at what you've seen. Right. I liked that. And now I feel like the pendulum has gone almost like too far where now you'll see people. And this, I think goes back to that snobbery thing and people will laugh and, you know, make satire about saying things about stabilizing joints or bulletproofing joints and think, but this yeah. is language people understand. Like this is people like, yeah, no, like, yeah, you're going to make your joke about, oh, you bulletproof your shoulders, have you? Oh, you're going to take them to Afghanistan. Ha -ha. Like, yeah, great. <laughs> but people get that. And if that's what gets people on board, if by saying, hey, start doing ring support holds, it's going to bulletproof your shoulders. That, you know, you're meeting people where they are linguistically, mm -hmm. right? And you're understanding, yeah, like, obviously that there's an area of hyperbole, but no, like you say, and as you like, you, you know, you, you're great because you put your hands up and said, maybe I can't prove this, but if you start putting the shoulder in these positions, will it self-organize versus just simply blasting a barbell overhead and dropping it every time or yeah. ripping yourself up to a bar and dropping every time there is, there has got to be a point where we say, yes, actually this stuff is bulletproof in your shoulders because it's going to allow you to better perform at this other stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, again, N of one, but, that's still of relevance. But I, when I went into calisthenics and started to learn to handstand and do human flags, um, I didn't know if my shoulder was going to stay in the socket when I started doing some of this stuff because it was similar to the dislocation positions that I'd been in before. Flexion, external rotation overhead. So it was like bad, bad place for me to do a human flag. Yeah. I just kind of played around with this sort of stuff. And I, if I'm honest, I didn't do loads of external. I didn't do any external rotation cuff, cuff stuff. I didn't do any serrated anterior stuff, like kind of like real nuts and bolts of kind of some of the conversations I'm having now. I just played around with some of this stuff and over time just developed more neuromuscular control. So just improve the stabilization of the, of the shoulder to a point now where if you said to me, like, I've done no training today, I'm not warmed up. Can you do a human flag now? I want to take a photo. I will say yes. and I'll go and do it. And that'll put me into a position with the shoulder I had surgery on at the bottom where I'm overhead, external rotation, abduction, the same position that I dislocated in with an unloaded barbell when I did a snatch balance once, taking all the force like into the joint and I hold that position confidently, no problem. I just think there's like, it doesn't, I, I now know that like, I can accelerate this process for people if we do some of this groundwork. Like I'd come into that from having done a little bit of physio stuff. So I'd kind of been in strength and conditioning. So I had some kind of context around that kind of stuff when I was coming at the more kind of preparatory stuff if you want to call it that um but if it, it it's just i think my, my real kind of like sign off or takeaway from this one is just rethink what you're doing if you're in a cycle where your shoulders don't feel great 
doing more of what you've already done is not really going to move you in a position that's going to change. Like everyone quotes Einstein for that, but it actually, that um, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Apparently I looked that up. It wasn't Einstein. It was from like a 1970s drug and alcohol uh, rehabilitation clinic in the states but i like the quote still the same but it's um i think it's almost it's like better it, coming from that like yeah i think so <laughs> yeah, too yeah. as well i feel like that because <laughs> that probably has more weight yeah um but yeah if you're if you if you're in this cycle of like shoulders don't feel great like you need to do something different because you're only if what you're currently doing is not working and and, and whether you are you I'm, i've become as a coach over the years completely sold that people don't change until they want to change and if it takes a traumatic shoulder dislocation yeah. to get you to change, I hope you don't get there. I hope you change your mind before that because I was that person. Um, so just don't, you don't have to overhaul everything. Just trying to like take a little bit of that stuff um, that we've talked about, some of those concepts and, and just play around with it. What, what I also love, and it's kind of a, almost like, a, like a, de- a delicious irony of it, is if you start incorporating eccentrics, if you start incorporating loaded you know body weight plus loaded body weight movements with a greater range of motion if you start using the rings if you start paying attention to tempo you're going to get stronger yeah. and you're going to get like you're going to grow you're going to get more you're going to get more jacked you switch your like dodgy bench press that you've been stuck on for forever going up and down you know give you know plus or minus 10 kilograms for the mm-hmm. last five years and you start doing feet elevated ring push-ups with some plates on your back or a weighted vest. What do you think? And you progressively overload that because it's a new movement. What do you think is going to happen to your chest and shoulders? Even forget, forget them getting healthier and more stabilized. Yeah. Yeah, They're going yeah. to get bigger. You're going yeah. to look better and you're probably going to get stronger at the bench press. And it's just a weird fear people have of veering away from like, yeah, but I've got to do my, like, I even do it myself. I even do it myself. When I start programming out a new phase, the first thing my head runs to is those four days, deadlift, bench press, squat, yeah. overhead press. Like for why? Like why is yeah. that? Or, you know, change, you know, switch that out for Olympic lifts or CrossFit. Uh, whereas actually like I know full well, I've gone through stages where all I did was weighted ring press ups and my bench went up without yeah. touching what, the bar. I know it's a people's one, but. But people tell me about when they do that as well. They go, you know what? When I do that sort of stuff, my shoulders feel really good. Okay. Do you need any more proof? What I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And it's so odd, isn't it? And it's just getting away from the the dogma and the the programming we've 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 all got. And it, you know, I guess in some ways we've all been guilty of it, um, both as trainees and coaches of Mm -hmm. going like, you know, it's the stick to the basics thing, right? The, yeah. the pendulum swung so far. I mean, you, you're, you know, you've been in this longer than I have. So you'll remember when functional meant something very different and everyone was stood on mm. Swiss balls doing like, uh, you know, like wood choppers with a cable because yeah, it was yeah, going to yeah. increase, it was going to make their golf swing better. Like that was what functional meant at one point. You probably like what, what was, what we'd probably call corrective. And actually no, pro- what we'd laugh at now we'd called functional and the pendulum swung so far that then eventually everyone's like, no, just for God's sakes, just squat and deadlift and overhead press and bench press if you want to. And now it's like, Oh, why we can never find a middle ground. Can we, we're so attracted to the polar opposites. Yeah. Yeah. Like that we forget that there is a middle ground. You can still do those things and do it. Like we were saying before, warm up your bench press 
if you're going to do it, warm up with some weighted ring press-ups. Mm. Most people will find yeah. that that works. Yeah, that'll feel good. Yeah. yeah. There's a number of people I've done some work with and they go, you know what? I can feel like my bench was great after I've done a little bit of, of, of ring stuff. But to your point, just on the, on the functional thing, one thing I like, I'm going to zoom out and kind of talk a little bit more like just like what holistic in terms of what life means for me when you, when you talk about functional. Well, I think the most functional thing you can do in life is be pain-free. Like that yeah. makes life way better. Like if you're not in pain. So yeah. if training is chewing you up and training is a source of pain or causing you pain, then there's a problem with your training because it's, that's not what it's supposed to be doing in yeah. my mind. Um, and, I, and I think that, yeah, that's, if we, we just have to be willing to, to do something a little bit different and don't, it's, it's not forever. Like just yeah. like when I first started calisthenics, I was like, I'm going to give this three months and I'm going to see what happens. And if I don't like it or I don't like the way that I look, I'll go back. And I know enough of what I did before will work if I just go and change the way that I'm training. But just be prepared to go and play around and, and, and see what happens by just taking a dip in the, dip in the toe in and, and seeing what happens. And, and the, just, just on the last thing on that was like, if, you, if we think about stability, like, and this is where we can laugh at, at like wood choppers on stability balls, because that was a thing for a while, kind of almost, at least BOSU balls. But if we, what I'm pretty sure of it in a simplistic form is like, the body's going to respond to the stress we place upon it. So if we need more joint stability, it makes sense to me that we need to train in a way which creates instability so that the joint gets better at being stable. That doesn't let people like, Oh, you should never do an unstable squat. I'm like, well, it depends on whether you've got instability or not, because getting strong will get you stable to a point. I agree with that. But when you look at the shoulder and you're effectively trying to balance a golf ball on a tee, like we need to have a little bit more of a different approach. We can't just apply lower body principles to the shoulder because we're dealing with yeah. very different joints. Yeah. And, and the leverage you've got there as well versus, versus lower. It's like, it's just a completely different joint that works in a completely different way. And it's going to be subjected to completely different, like, and it doesn't have to be like without means to knock anyone's training principles. It doesn't have to be, just stood on a bozu ball pressing mm. it can be as simple as a kettlebell overhead walk where you're presenting yeah. you're presenting yourself with a little bit of instability and yeah you, you could take it up to like low, you know put some bands on a barbell and kettlebells hanging off of that and walk yeah but you don't have to you can stop at a dumbbell overhead walk where there's going to be a level of instability uh, and that and you can build that into a warm-up you can do that between sets of overhead press or bench press and one thing i just want to pick up on that you said there just because I was thinking about it the other day is the idea of we wear out injuries in, and you see it, you know, it's mimetic. You see it on the internet all the time. We, we wear our injuries and niggles, especially in the functional community as like a badge of honor. It's like, oh, I'm always sore. I'm always hungry, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. But we use the term training. Um, and we, we kind of, we're not training for anything. So I guess we're training for everything. That's the way I look at it. In yeah. which case, if you, if every time you went to rugby training and the, tra the training you were doing made you a little bit worse at rugby, you would, yeah. you would kind of think <laughs> my training's not working. Right. So if what you're training, if you're training for everyday life, as everyone says they are, is making you worse everyday life in that you walk around with aches and pains, maybe it's time to rethink that. Right. It's got to be adding. If it's not adding to you, it's taking away from you. Right. And yeah if we're training for everything as you like you said it there so brilliantly the most functional thing you can be like the bare minimum you really want is to not be in pain right how functional yeah. are you if 
you're in pain all the time. Yeah, we were on holidays just recently and like I've got a four-year-old and what I want to do with him is flipping launch him about five yeah. meters in the air in a swimming pool and I want to catch him overhead. Like, and I want to be confident to do that. And and I just think if you, oh no, I'm, I'm trained, I'm, I'm great at CrossFit, but I can't chuck my kid around in a swimming pool. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know what's more important. <laughs> like if we're yeah. training for life. <laughs> yeah. Like, my, what I know is Jack, my little boy flipping, loves being thrown around in the swimming pool. That was probably the best thing we did on holiday. So it's like, how much can I give to him as a human um, if, if I can't, if I don't trust my body? And, and I don't need to be the strongest guy in the gym to do that. I don't need to be RXing everything to do that. I just need to be like moving well with some control and understanding that maybe there's a, there's a, there's a few more pieces to the puzzle which are going to go into making that kind of movement literacy that I've got or confidence maybe more complete. Yeah, and it almost gets hilarious when you can, you know, you consider that there's a, there could be a dad next to you in the pool who like he's never even heard of CrossFit, but he's got the capability to do it because he's just not beat up because he's just lives a pretty, you know, he lives a pretty average life. Maybe he's a bricklayer or something. So he moves pretty well throughout the day, um, keeps himself ticking over. And he like never even thinks about like, Oh, you know, I'm a bit jacked up because, <laughs> because I like yeah, yeah. PB'd my clean and jerk last week. So weird, isn't it? And I think Jack was appreciative that I had some eccentric strength when I caught it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, he didn't drown because he yeah, managed to slow him down. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. And this is what we need to be thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I've got um, a toolbox talk we do, a quick fire round of questions that we ask to all uh, guests just to give some tangible sort of instantly actionable next step for listeners. So yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast these at you now. If you could make one book, or piece of media, compulsory reading or watching for either people new to the industry, training, or just anybody, what would it be and for what reason? And it doesn't need to be a book. This could just be something someone could go away now and kind of internalize and you think it'd be a game changer for them. I would choose a book I spoke about before, Think Again. I just think we're in a space where we need to challenge what we think because we are surrounded and, and um exposes so many different people's views and perspectives i think it's important that we basically question everything that we think we know and that's adam grant right think again yeah adam grant think again yeah, yeah. i was having this conversation with my 13 year old daughter yesterday and i said everything you know you have to hold everything up and ask does this prove true based on everything else i know in life yeah. like every and you have to constantly unpack your thoughts right or you end up in that fixed mindset yeah yeah i'm, uh, following I'm actually, blindly and not thinking about principles just following methods and not knowing why yeah yeah no i i often find myself um, i've said this before on the pod i find myself unpacking stuff and i think to myself why do i believe that and it's just be some random thing some idiot said to me and i'm just like i'm like <laughs> yeah. this guy's not even trustworthy and i've just completely <laughs> sort of internalized it but um think again adam grant yeah, i've actually written yeah. that down on my board when you said it to get on the audible playlist yeah, it's a good one if you go back in time and speak to yourself in the first year or two of your training or your career or adult life, what advice would you have for yourself? Oh, crack it. That's a good question. Um, I, honestly, I think I should have, I, I spent a lot of time in isolation as a strength and conditioning coach. I worked for people, uh, for a company, and they basically just kind of like left me in an environment by myself, largely. They were good. That's not criticism, but I did a lot of work by myself. Mm. I wish I would have spent more time with mentors earlier on. I still don't really have what I would talk about as a formal coaching mentor now, at least. It's a bit different in other areas, but I would definitely have worked with people who were further up the path with me on a more formal basis. To, to, to basically just to, to yeah, have more input from people who've been there because I've probably made a lot of mistakes that I could have avoided if I'd had some better people or more formal relationships with people yeah. to support me. I think you can learn more 
like just in in conversation with you know people who are further along the line than mm. you are in an hour of conversation than you can in like you know a week of experience and months of, of reading and trying to educate yourself right these conversations because the conversations come with the caveats they come with the experience and they come with the yeah i tried this maybe you maybe don't try this right yeah yeah can just save you so much i'm exactly the same as you i didn't just through through hubris on my account i didn't take time to actively seek that out which is you know something you know it's why i have a podcast now try yeah. to <laughs> try and make up for lost time yeah, exactly. yeah, having these conversations um what one or two daily or weekly habits or actions possibly unique to you do you feel have most contributed to your success either professionally or you know physically oh crikey i i'm not this is probably a weak question for me because i'm not a i'm not a particularly habitual person i'm a little bit kind of like i could be a little bit erratic at times i think in terms of like i don't necessarily like structure so um and especially since we had kids like someone says i wake up at 6 30 and i do the 20 minutes of meditation like that's not me like i'm like up and getting into it i think that the the habits that i've that i I do is I've, I've always trained and prioritized that as part of my day. Like, so there's times where it just kind of drops off, but making sure that I'm, you know, the last couple of years on reflection have been bad for this because of lockdown, but doing something which is, which is like uplifting for myself, like trying to find that bit of, of, of of the day where I am sort of investing in my, in my own kind of wellness and and just what stuff that makes me feel happy. And I think probably it's, I don't know if it's a habit or not, but I'm like, I'm inquisitive. Like I want to kind of like push towards the, the edges of things and and just explore like what's over there like it's it's kind of somewhere I, I kind of like i really like the the, the verse from the, the robert frost program like two two roads diverse in the woods and i took the road less traveled now that's not always a positive like sometimes the road less traveled is less traveled for a reason yeah. but i'm drawn to that like i want to know what's down there um and that's probably at times taking off in the wrong direction but there's still lessons to be learned so i'm, I'm always kind of like keen to explore the unknown i think it's probably i don't know if it's a habit or not or just a characteristic same thing maybe but yeah yeah we go for that look after myself as much as i can because it's kind of i've been in the industry for quite a long time so that kind of helps and then yeah just be inquisitive do you do you find the longer you've been in the industry the harder it's not necessarily the harder but the the more investing in your own physical health has become easier to fall by the wayside, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I was kind of like reflecting on the last couple of years. Like it's as business and that side of professional development has ramped up. Like it's very easy to fill my day with. I've got, I've got stuff I could, I could just, you know, what it's like you could just. There's always things to be done. Always something, yeah. Um, and if I'm honest, I probably lost a little bit of my mojo for training. Like I was doing, I was just, I've, I've kind of, I feel now really revitalized. I've switched it. I've just started some new things and, and moved things around a little bit, but it did get to a stage where it was probably, I was not the best version of myself because I was starting to kind of just sacrifice those things. And it's something I'm trying to get back to now. Um, but I, yeah, it's, I wish it was like sit down and read a book every day, but I just, I'm, I'm a ambitious person and, and, I, and I will work. Um, and that's yeah. maybe a bit of a downfall at times where I just won't, won't let myself off the hook to just do some that, things that I enjoy. So I have to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, being intentional is a, a, a super good characteristic to have, right? Like mm. then you know what you're doing. And sometimes habits aren't good from that point of view because yeah. you, the bad habits as well as good, right? Whereas when you're intentional, you know what you're doing. Yeah. 
Can you name one item that you've purchased or acquired relatively inexpensively that's given you a huge return on your investment, whether that's training, nutrition, productivity, just like something that you think someone could go out right now and would like increase their quality of life, essentially? Um, so if I'm going to say it like, to, to say that my gymnastics rings cost me 30 quid and I can put those in my bag. And my, my wife is South African, so we travel a lot. We went on holiday to see her family just recently. I can always find somewhere to, to hang my rings and I can always get a decent upper body pump, which is important when you're on holiday around a swimming pool. Um, so for 30 quid, like that has given me, a, and they, they like, how many years do rings last if you look after them? Like maybe forever. Um, most simple form of training tool that you can always carry and can always get like a workout in, which makes me, if I'm away for a period of time for two weeks and I can't train, that's going to be a problem for me. And I know with my rings, I'm always going to be able to do it. And it's sort of my shoulders out. So that's maybe like contextual around shoulders as well, but it's just, it's just an incredibly effective piece of equipment. Yeah. Just so like the, the, the list of reasons not to have gymnastics rings is slim and none. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. It's slim and none like the investment, and it's a lifetime of, if you want to pursue it, you've got both. You've got either simple, actionable, like body weight pump stuff that you can go and do right now, or you've got a lifetime's worth of physical development that you can explore. Yeah. And like you say, 30 quid, I've probably told this story before, but my, first, my favorite set of gymnastics, yeah, I've got a favorite set of gymnastics rings. My favorite set of gymnastics rings came out of a school in my town and the school closed like it was being knocked down and random someone just randomly said to me it was my younger brother he'd gone to that school and he's like he was a bit younger at the time and he's like oh yeah the the you know they're knocking the school down like the the fire exit to the sports hall was open i was like oh that's interesting and i just was on a run and i thought i'm gonna have a look <laughs> this is years ago and i'm like i'm gonna have a look and the the, the sports hall was just open they're demolishing this school um, this is a bit incriminating this story really <laughs> i literally just you remember, you remember the old pull out frames like school frames yeah. and i climbed the rope and i just unhooked the gymnastics rings and i just took them <laughs> and they knocked the school down and they must have been like 30 years old when i took them and they're yeah. still going strong now and i've left them outside for forever i apply a bit of tape every now and again <laughs> but like what's going to go wrong with them yeah like just, yeah bomb proof yeah almost. absolutely yeah and and that's exactly what they can do for your body People is, say, oh, I've got nowhere to hang them. Like, what, have you got oh, a tree near you? Mate, Go find is, a tree. <laughs> I try to be, my, like, one characteristic I always try and embody is being empathetic and being understanding. And I understand that everyone has a different level of education and a different level of life experience that's led them to the conclusion they've got. Mm. But one, and I try not to have pet peeves because I think it's a waste of emotional intelligence. But <laughs> if I did have a pet peeve, it would be that constant, like, when you say something's no kit and it's got pull-ups or they're like, well, why am I supposed to do the pull-ups? And do you know when you like f find somewhere, like you are on a thousand pound smartphone browsing yeah. a social media app in the year 2021, you've got all of this stuff going in your favor. And this is the thing you've extended, you've expended your energy on is to say, mm -hmm. well, what am I supposed to do a pull-up on? Go outside. Like, how many guys yeah. like you yeah i made a video before of all the weird places i've done pull-ups on just because <laughs> there is i get it it's not always super accessible but dude if you're gonna it's spend doable. your energy yeah it's doable there's always somewhere there's a goal post or there's a fire exit you can hang your rings from or yeah you know do it on your door frame and build some finger strength like there's something you can do isn't there <laughs> yeah, exactly if you could only perform uh, one exercise or movement for the rest of your life what would it be and why 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, handstand, just because it's a lot of fun. Um, it took me a long time to learn. I properly earned that one. Um, and yeah, it just, it's, I think it's just a lot for you from, from both a mind perspective, a play perspective, like you learn to handstand, you're opening up a, de- a whole world of stuff, which you could play around with for years to come. It, it keeps on giving and I can do it anywhere, anytime. I know people often say, oh, deadlift because I want to pick stuff, stuff up with it, but I need kit for that. Like, yeah. and, you, and you can go a fair way just by picking other stuff up that you find around the world. Whereas a handstand is that I like that the skill side of things. If I've taught my brain and my body something quite specific to do, and it's um, the neural circuitry that's gone into that, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard, I think it was Angus Martin of Lyft who uh, I think I heard him once refer to it as like one of the ultimate meta skills mm. in that like it opens you up to so even on a base level, like the patience it takes to learn to do that can teach you so much Yeah. about the patience necessary to do. I, I defy anyone to go through all of the steps necessary to have a decent freestanding handstand, but then not have the patience to like fix their shit to bench press a bit more. Yeah. Like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, where can people find out a little bit more about yourself? Where can people find you and more about dynamic shoulders? So the website is dynamicshoulders.com. Um, social on Instagram is dynamic shoulders. Twitter, dynamic shoulder, because you can't have any characters. Um, but yeah, if you find us on there, then there's lots more content coming. We're just sort of like getting rolling after sort of a, a, a few months now of kind of just lining up uh, some of the bits and bobs. And uh, there's plenty of stuff on there about personal coaching, education programs, uh, workshops, all that sort of stuff is on there. So yeah, come and find us. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. And I'm looking forward to seeing where Dynamic Shoulders goes from here and indeed implementing it into my own training. I'm excited to see that as well. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's been great. Thanks. Take care, mate. Cheers. And there we have it. Thank you for listening in. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be greatly appreciated if you could drop us a review on your podcast app of choice. Any feedback you've got, please send it over via social media and don't hesitate to tell us what you would like to hear more of. I'm AT, this has been the Bulldog Gear podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys.